This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Vader, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Mr. Ben Dandelion, who has worked at Woodbrook Quaker Study Center in Birmingham, England, for over 20 years and currently directs their postgraduate program. He is also a professor of Quaker Studies at the University of Birmingham and also works with Lancaster University. So today is going to be all about Quakerism. I, I'm real curious to learn more about it. And uh, thank you so very much, Ben, for taking the time to come on with us today. That's a great pleasure. Yes, Ben, thank you so much. Um, I'm sure most of our listeners, most of whom are in the U.S., but scattered around the world, have heard of Quakers, uh, especially if they live in places like Philadelphia. Um, but maybe you can acquaint people with the uh, origins of Quakerism, which are quite interesting, and maybe you can throw in how you became interested in it yourself. Okay. Well, the, the movement began in the mid-17th century in, in England. Um, George Fox is usually credited with being the founder, but there was a huge depth of, of leadership, other notable Quakers or Friends, as they're also called, were Margaret Fell, James Naylor. And it grew up in the north of England, although Fox was from the Midlands, uh, at a time during the uh, Cromwell's rule where things were very unsettled in England. The world had been turned upside down. Everything was, uh, you know, up in the air, how, how the country should be ruled, what religion should be like, how people were to be right with God. And George Fox comes along and he has a dramatic uh, spiritual transformation, age 23, where he finds uh, himself in a sort of direct relationship with God. He finds that he's able to hear God speaking to him and realizes, he, in a way, he's been looking in the wrong places. He's been trying to you know, speak to priests and professors and read books and actually his his you know, realization is that he can just have this direct relationship. And he says, I, I hear a voice, I heard a voice, there was one, even Christ Jesus that could speak to my condition. And so, to put it briefly, Quakerism is set up on this idea of direct encounter with the divine, that there's no need for a separated priesthood or outward sacraments or even a, a, a church building uh, or even a Christian calendar, that everything is based on this inward, direct relationship with the divine. And essentially, we have three and a half centuries of Quakerism that have been built up on that idea. And that something happens through that encounter that leads people into a different way of life, a new spiritual understanding, but also a new political understanding. And Quakers very quickly became a very visible an audibly different group. They were speaking differently. They were looking different. They were wearing plainer clothes. They were um, refusing to use the names for, for days and months, but would use uh, numbers. So like Sunday became first day, second mm. day for Monday and that kind of thing. Uh, they refused to haggle because it'd be a fair price for things. And they refused to take up arms. And those are just a few of the, mm. few of the things. So it becomes a very particular lifestyle that comes out of this um, spiritual transformation. And the Quaker uh, term itself, the word? Yep. Uh, that was originally a term of derision given by a, a judge to George Fox as he 
was in in uh, court charged with blasphemy and he said you tremble before the lord you quaker and so mm. it was a, a term of derision but it became the popular term for the group right huh. um and so and it's and it's lasted ever since mm-hmm. and so quakers have, has become a you know um a, a popular name and and part of now the official name for the group uh, ben uh I, i'm curious i mean over the years i have met numerous quakers and they always seem to be uh, you know uh ahead of their time at, in america socially they were very progressive when they, uh, they were always against slavery even back in the day they were pacifists uh they believed in the equality of women as you mentioned there was less structure in the church in the church uh uh less ornamentation uh more in in regard to direct experience and yet uh, i think worldwide there's less than a million quakers why aren't there more quakers because it seems so attractive is it because they don't go out and solicit members and and, and how did you actually yourself get yeah. in the fold actually become a quaker but but first why do you think there aren't more quakers okay was well, about half a million worldwide and a third of those are in east africa and and mm. that is the result of of mission work from the evangelical branch of friends um and uh, and there is kind of two main kinds of of quaker to be rather simplistic about it there's a um there is an evangelical branch who have pastors and and an order of service but still have this sense of direct relationship with god and then as the first quakers did there's another group who will meet in silence and worship is based in mm-hmm. in silence and that group in particular has been rather reticent at uh, going out there and and you know spreading the the quaker word as it were so you know you're exactly right that you know quakers aren't always very good at at saying hey we found something fantastic why not come along mm-hmm. um i i myself uh is interesting my parents were very strict atheists and uh but they believed in kind of independent education and so they had a choice when we we moved to the north of england between a quaker school and a roman catholic one mm-hmm. and because of their atheism they sent me to the quaker one thinking it would do me least harm because <laughs> because quakers weren't into you know proselytizing right. and you know Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it really backfired terribly for them and uh much to my mother's later disappointment when I became a Quaker. I mean I didn't become a Quaker immediately at that school but uh I was an anarchist for a while and uh, you know protesting for peace and this kind of thing and uh and when I gave up um my belief that there would be a revolution in England I was looking around for another group and the Quakers looked a little bit like the anarchists in some way because there were no fixed leaders uh decisions are made without votes and the group is a pacifist group uh historically opposed to war so it it looked like the ideal kind of group for me to come along into although at that point I was probably still pretty agnostic myself and one of the one of the uh things about the 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 kind of the uh liberal form of quakerism in in britain is that uh sorry uh one of the things about the liberal form of quakerism in britain is it's very permissive and it includes a whole range of of different beliefs mm and so i was allowed to sort of be an agnostic there but about a year later i myself had a a major spiritual transformation 
Uh, and Quakerism has just become the home for me, the, the, the place where I want to live out my spiritual journey. How interesting. Uh, we should mention, since you use the word friends, that the uh, proper name for Quakers is the Religious Society of Friends. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong about that, but uh, uh, no, that's I right. am correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and even here in the U.S., there's a lot of uh, educational institutions formed by the Friends, and a lot of non-Quakers have uh, gone to them because of the quality of education and the, uh, the ethic of uh, uh, peace and um, resistance to war. Um, let me let me go, get back to a question, something you mentioned earlier, Ben. Um, you, it, it sounded like the Quakers were um, a reaction uh, to the um, existing religious establishment at that time in England, uh, and it had to do with um, the uh, primacy of direct experience of the divine. Now, wasn't that essentially part of the Protestant Reformation? Wouldn't that have that notion of individual uh, association with the divine have been consistent with Protestants, or am I wrong? No, I think you're, you're right there, but the Quakers take it a step further. So they do a, a couple of things. One, one thing they did back then was that they said that Scripture was unnecessary, or not unnecessary, ah. but, but, but secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Word of God was the, the living Christ, the experience of the living Christ, and Scripture was the Word about the Word. Mm. It's a kind of almost a lowercase, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so they're not, they're not, you know, if you say, how do we know what's of God, which is a really key question for any religious group, you know, Quakers would not go to Scripture to find the answers. They'd actually probably, you know, go into prayer and worship and try and seek that direct encounter. So they, they do that. Then they also, though, take this uh, ex- experience of transformation to be one of salvation as well. So they're also talking about salvation in this life, not some promise for the next life. Uh, and they're also talking about universal salvation. One of the great uh, things about Fox's experience is he talks about this experience being available for everybody. There's a spiritual equality. Mm-hmm. And with that universal salvation, which again pushes against some of the more Calvinist thinking at the time. And he even takes that further and then talks about that salvation involves perfection. And Quakers maintained a kind of doctrine of perfection that they could resist sin and temptation, uh, you know, once they'd gone through this uh, powerful spiritual transformation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all three of those things really annoyed other Christians. It just flew in the face of, you know, sort of received Christian thinking at the time. Yeah, Ben, along those lines, if somebody, if say I said, okay, I want to become a Quaker, I want to have that personal transformation, I want to have a direct relationship uh, with God or whatever. Uh, n- now, how does one become a Quaker? Is, I, I assume there's not a ceremony. And, and if somebody comes and they're an agnostic or whatever, and they say, okay, uh, you, you talk about going into prayer and whatnot, how do I pray? How do I become a Quaker? How do I get uh, to have this uh, personal transformation? formation uh, that leads me uh, directly to God. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you, you, know, you wanted to join the Quakers, you'd either go along to a friend's church, 
um, and, you know, hear the message and join in the music, just as you might do with another form of Protestant community. Mm -hmm. But there would be this open space, this what sometimes called communion after the manner of friends, which would be this moment of silent openness, expectant waiting, as it also gets called. If you went to one of the uh, silent tradition meetings, or you, you would come into a room and probably find a circle of chairs, sit wherever you wanted. There's no front, there's no separated minister, and there would be no formal content other than silence. In oh. that silence, someone may stand up and offer some ministry, share something that they felt was given to them by God, but uh, you never know what's going to happen there. There's no order of service other than this, this silence. And many people feel deeply touched and moved by the Spirit in, in that silent worship. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about you becoming a Quaker so you can experience spiritual transformation or direct encounter. You ideally will find that maybe in your daily life or maybe in Quaker worship. Mm -hmm. But it will be affirmed and framed within the, in the Quaker community. Uh, and you'll be supported in your spiritual journey, ideally, in that setting. If I could just follow up, is there any scripture? Is there any, is there, uh, is the Bible used? Well, it, again, it would depend where you went and, you know, more or less would be the answer. So, mm -hmm. again, in the evangelical Quakerism, scripture has become more central. Uh, in the silent tradition, again, there's a huge variety uh, and there are conservative friends who are conserving the tradition and they might they would use the Bible more. And there are liberal friends who might use the Bible slightly less. But there are also what are called books of discipline, books of discipleship, which uh, offer guidance and inspiration from the Quaker tradition. And these are revised regularly within each constituency. Uh, what are called yearly meetings, groups that meet once a year as a whole group but have a number of local meetings within them. And each yearly meeting has its own book of discipline. Uh, so you would have that text as well uh, to help. But I mean, again, you wouldn't, there would be no, you know, you don't come in and read anything or sing anything in a silent meeting. You come in and try and set self aside, put the thoughts out of your mind and open yourself, surrender yourself to God. Uh, ben, there's also doesn't seem to be any uh, hierarchical uh, quality to the Quakers. It's a kind of anti-hierarchical uh, mm -hmm. system, and and that seems to uh, be true on a local level as well. Um, I, I have to confess that you know when I've I've heard some very funny stories about decision making among Quakers. Uh, <laughs> some, some perhaps apocryphal, but some true because apparently, you know, when there's a media, a friend's meeting house in a locale, uh, you know, the rent has to be paid and decisions have to be made about um, practical issues. Um, how how does that work in the absence of a, uh, a an organizational structure? Okay. Well, there's quite a lot of structure, and the, the, but the difference is that everyone is seen to be, as I said, spiritually equal, so everyone is a minister. And what you find is that there are certain roles within meetings or friends' churches, like elders uh, or people on ministry and council um, or, and what are called clerks, who, which are rotated through the membership. 
Mm. And so for business decisions, a matter might come up, let's say, um, you know, uh, I don't know, shall we uh, give some money to a particular appeal or shall we extend the building or whatever? And that matter comes before the meeting uh, and the clerk might introduce it or ask someone else to introduce the item, but the, then the body of the meeting will go into worship. Uh, and that will mean going into silence to seek God's guidance, uh, which for Quakers comes through silence and stillness. And then as led, people will offer ministry on that item. And it's not about voting. It's not about numbers. It's about discerning the will of God. And after a while, if the clerk feels they have a sense of the meeting, they, might, they will write a minute reflecting where they feel the meeting's got to. And it might say, you know, we've heard, we've had been introduced to this subject by X. You know, we've heard about the, the advantages and disadvantages, and we decide to do this, and we ask so-and-so to carry this forward. And the, the meeting will then discern about the minute, minute and accurate reflection of where they feel God has led them. And so it is, it is a slow process, and it's a very deliberate process, but it's a very prayerful process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does mean there's no winners or losers. The whole point is, is not to sort of win the argument, but to discern what God wants of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, let me uh, follow up with that. Uh, what happens in, in the case of dissenting voices then, or, you know, people who, mm-hmm. does that, I'm sure it occurs. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 two things, or maybe two things can happen. One is if there's a real, if it's really clear there is no unity, then it may be that the decision is deferred. And we, you know, we might say, well, we'll come back to this another time or next time, uh, or we'll, you know, we'll put on another meeting in order to discern further. Because a lack of unity is seen to mean that really the group hasn't fully found God's guidance. Mm. But if there's a strong sense of unity with maybe one or two dissenting voices, then it may be that the meeting will move forward anyway and it may be that the one or two dissenting voices say well i don't agree but i will agree to agree i can feel that the meeting is somewhere else i'm not quite there myself but um but equally one one dissenting voice might then turn a whole meeting around and that often happens that it, you think it's all going to go one way and it's you know we know what's coming on the agenda we say oh yeah that will be straightforward and actually one person just gets up and obviously is sharing something given to them mm-hmm. from beyond themselves <coughs> and it just moves the whole meeting in a new and totally unexpected direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, I- I'm curious, uh, in different branches of Christianity, the passion, the, that period of time in Christ's life uh, covering his entrance into Jul- Jerusalem to his uh, crucifixion has uh, been interpreted many different ways. H- how would you as a... Uh, uh, as a Quaker, interpret that? Well, um, again, we need to probably go back to the beginning of Quakerism because one of the other ways they understood this direct inward encounter was as the inward second coming of Christ. And so from the beginning, Quakers were focusing less on the historical Jesus mm-hmm. and, the, and the stories we find in the Gospels and almost placing themselves in the book of Revelation and saying, this is, you know, we're in these end times now. So, for example, George Fox said, 
you know, um, we, you know, we're not following the instruction in First Corinthians eleven twenty six to break the bread until the Lord comes again, because the Lord has come again, and our communion is Revelation three twenty, which is the bit where, um, you know, those who hear me knock, I will, I will come and sup, uh, you know, with them. So. It's a, it's a different kind of communion. It's very much focused on the inward experience, but also Quakers are, were placing themselves in a different point in the biblical timeline. Now, that shifted after about 15 years where, you know, they were saying that the, basically, the, you know, this is the, new, the beginning, the end of the world and the beginning of New Jerusalem and these sorts of things. And of course, that's quite a difficult claim to maintain. You know, in Britain, there was plague and there was fire in London and, you know, there was all kinds of cataclysmic events, but still the world wasn't changing. The world wasn't turning to God as the Quakers had imagined. And from that point, Quakers take a longer term view and say, well, this is unfolding. William Penn goes to Pennsylvania, sets up the Holy Experiment as a Quaker colony. And but what's interesting is that Quakers don't really return very much to, to the Gospels, particularly in the more liberal tradition. Mm. Um, so they don't, you know, in the evangelical tradition, they will return to Scripture and become more like other Protestant communities. But the silent tradition kind of just maintained a sense of a very slow unfolding end time and a much stronger emphasis on, on you know, kind of the, the spiritual aspects rather than the, the accounts in the Gospels. How interesting. Um, ben, uh, we're more familiar with the, uh, the American form of Quakerism. I don't know how different it is in the UK. But here, um, I think many people of a certain age became very aware of Quakers and uh, very... Um, uh, had a lot of admiration for them uh, during the Vietnam War period when the Quakers here were a leading voice for peace and a lot of the young uh, peace activists uh, found themselves linking arms with many Quakers in anti-war situations. In fact, I know a lot of people who didn't want to go to, into the uh, military became Quakers <laughs> because that was, you know, mm -hmm. uh, however authentic that was. But that was, you know, a very important period. And it did not escape uh, the irony uh, of the fact that Richard Nixon had been raised a Quaker mm -hmm. Uh, was not lost on many of us. So I don't know, maybe you can address that his, that that tradition okay. of peacemaking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there is a, as a, there's been a 360 year witness against war, against the taking up of arms, against killing another human being. So Quakers are one of the historic peace churches along with, say, the Mennonites or the Brethren. Mm -hmm. and, and that witness has been very strong mm -hmm. corporately. It's always been very clear that that's where Quakers are as an organization. Individually, Quakers have you know, had to make personal choices. And you know, as a Quaker, people often say, well, what would you do, though, if someone broke into your home or threatened your family? Or... And of course, you can never say what you would do. But what you do know is what you would hope, hope to be able to do. Uh, and these are Im impossible choices. And Quakers have made different decisions along along the way. And so, 
in each in each major conflict, some Quakers have joined up, um, whilst others have have really stood hard against the sort of the you know dominant culture of of going to war. Uh, mm. And Richard Nixon obviously made particular choices uh, as in his political life. Um, and, and later, maybe made other kinds of choices in his in his you know work with China and Russia. Um, but I, I mean, a lot of Quakers were very upset with with Richard Nixon at the time, and uh, you know tried to even initiate a kind of disownment process where he would no longer be listed as a Quaker. Mm. Um, mm. But his own meeting were not prepared to do that. And one of the other things is that other than you know uh, having no fixed hierarchies is that each of these local constituencies is fairly independent of the others. So, you know, there's, there was no American body that could say whether Richard Nixon was to be a Quaker or not. That was up to his own meeting in California. Um, but, yeah, so, but throughout the different traditions, and in fact, you'll find them all in the United States. You'll find liberal and conservative and different kinds of evangelical friend uh, throughout the USA, um, but the peace witness will remain, does remain consistent across all those traditions. And it's just that individual Quakers will, will sometimes make decisions that go against the, you know, the Quaker view. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ben, if somebody uh, listening in wanted to follow up and find out more about uh, joining a Quaker community or, or attending uh, their meetings, uh, where would they go to get that information? Okay, well, uh, there is, a, there is a, 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 a kind of a world coordinating body called Friends World Committee for Consultation, FWCC, and they could Google FWCC. And on that site, on that website, you can find where your local meeting is. Uh, and you could then probably, that meeting would have a website and it would tell you what kind of, kind of Quakers that there were there. Mm -hmm. uh, there are umbrella groups in the U.S. There's Friends General Conference for the Liberal Friends, the Silent Tradition. There's a, a conservative association of also Silent Tradition, uh, and there's Friends United Meeting, who are uh, more pastoral, and there's Evangelical Friends Church International, who are all programmed and um, clearly evangelical in their outlook. Ben, mm -hmm. I, I notice on your uh, bio uh, that one of your areas of research is. Uh, Philadelphia as a sacred space. Mm -hmm. um, I lived in Philadelphia, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there were there Where's were this sacred, going? Yeah, yeah. There were sacred spaces here mm -hmm. and there, but as a whole, uh, I'm curious. No, I'm serious. Uh, what you mean by that, and uh, what you're finding in your work? Okay. Well, this is a historic, a bit of historic work, so. As I, as I mentioned, William Penn, who was a British Quaker from, from London, uh, his father was an admiral, and the, the English King Charles II repaid a debt to his father. And we don't quite know what that was about, but William Penn uh, became the largest private landowner in the world in, in 1680, and by being given this huge tract of land, which today we'd know as Pennsylvania. And he draws up a plan for a kind of what, what he calls a holy experiment, a Quaker colony with Philadelphia at the heart of that, the, you know, the port 
what will become a city and um, draws up a, a whole plan of how this will be a garden, a green a green city with plenty of parks and a grid system of roads and, you know, uh, is avoiding the problems of the, the Great Fire in London and, you know, got everything neatly planned out. And he then invites both Quakers but also anyone else to come and live in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania uh, as, a, as a model of religious toleration. So mm. unlike unlike some of the earlier Quakers, he's not he's not so strong on saying Quakers are the true church and the only only way. He's looking for a space where Quakers can live free from the persecution that they're experiencing in England at the time. But he also extends that invitation to Mennonites and to Presbyterians, and sets up this this. So in a sense, a vision of a sacred space in which everyone could worship as they wanted to. And where the where the colony would be again led by a divinely inspired assembly, it would be like one big Quaker business meeting. Now, of course, the, the reality was it didn't quite work out that way. And, and one of the things that happens is that Quakers are very soon outnumbered by you know other settlers, but also Quakers themselves become very um, immersed in worldly pursuits and worldly interests and daily life. And so some of the of Penn's vision is never never fully realized, and he spends very little time there. But the vision is of Philadelphia in particular as a sacred space, and, th and mm. that's that's why that's what I was working on there. That would come as a surprise to W. C. Fields. Okay, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I remember that quote. <laughs> uh, ben, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on with us today. A any final words uh, that you have for our listeners? Well, um, I, I don't think any, anyone really today in Quakerism is saying Quakerism is the only, the only spiritual path, but it is still a very unique uh, way, and it, it does meet a lot of people's spiritual hunger. And I would just encourage people to find out a little bit more and maybe to, to dip their toe in, in a meeting, try silent worship for a change, and, and see whether it speaks to their condition. Well, and I hope one, they find a, a very warm welcome there. Yeah, uh, uh, Dennis, one more question just mm. occurred to me. Um, at the time, if through most of Quaker history, very few people in the West knew very much about the Buddhist and Hindu traditions. But there's there's now so much awareness of it, and I'm wondering if there's interaction among them because the whole notion of direct experience with the divine, the notion of ahimsa or peacefulness. Um, and uh, inward experience. There seems to be a lot of almost more resonance with those traditions than with traditional Christianity. Can you have you come into contact with any of that? Oh yes, absolutely. So again, in the liberal tradition, there would be people who would call themselves Hindu Quakers or mm. Buddhist Quakers, people who would duly affiliate. And of course, the the silence of that part of the Quaker tradition does allow people to hold different viewpoints and beliefs because mm. they're worshiping in a similar way but different they might be framing their experience in different ways so worshiping in the same way but framing their experience in different ways um, right. and so yeah absolutely and i mean quakerism you know in that tradition would say we're we're part of all faiths and none you know it's a very ecumenical interfaith outlook right and i, and I right. think uh, in that silent worship uh, which I, ha I have never participated in 
which I've heard about from others and and now from you, uh, would lend itself maybe to uh, uh, mindfulness and just uh, that type of awareness. But uh, I guess it's different. I guess it's different for everyone. And and uh, why not, if you're listening in, uh, go to a Quaker meeting and see see how you relate. Uh, never hurts to explore. And uh, uh, like many, uh, we I've met in my life. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever met a, a Quaker <clears throat> that didn't like like a Catholic or, or, or some other religions, <clears throat> they have all this like baggage of bad experience along with maybe some good experience. I never met any Quakers who uh, went away with terrible guilt or, or feel, felt damaged by their Quaker experience. Uh, they might have drifted away, but not, not for reasons people might have uh, drifted away from other more uh, 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 religions with very strong doctrine and, and belief systems. So uh, um, I, I certainly would like to... Uh, Sit in on a Quaker meeting sometime. Very good. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. You're very welcome. Nice, to, nice speaking with you. Thanks very much for joining us, Ben. Right. Okay.